Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> and uh, for, for some of you, it's uh, not a happy day because you've recently lost your mother. We've had two in our church just this past week and uh, several this past year. I just was texting with uh, one of our church members who's, um, who's they're about to take the life support off his mother in just in the next few minutes. And, and so we we're praying uh, for him. And, and so it, it, um, it can be a sad day uh, for you, um, but it can also be a day of celebration um, I was in High Point this week, or at the end of this week, to take my mom to the uh, doctors to see about her ears, get those checked, and she's 91 years old, and when we went to check in at the doctors, they asked to see her driver's license, and she still has it, which makes me nervous. We, we finally, just uh, about a couple of months ago, got her to give up her car, and, but I had to be sneaky about that. Um, the only way I could get her to do it was her brother, who's like eight years younger, had just recently moved in the same complex she lives in. And I convinced her that she could give him the car and then he could drive her in her car wherever she wanted to go. And he agreed to that. And, uh, so she agreed to that. So at least she doesn't have car keys. So I'm okay with that now. So it's all good. And, uh, but today talking about mothers, um, you know, and I, and I was, as I was thinking, preparing this message, I was thinking about my own mom when she was 35 years old, her husband passed away and she had a 16 year old daughter, a 12 year old son and an eight year old son. And she had to tackle this thing of parenthood all by herself. But we watched her provide for us and provide for us in amazing ways and she started working in the jewelry business and uh, uh, for uh, an, an international company and actually wound up becoming a regional manager for the whole East Coast and just did a phenomenal job. And, and uh, she did all that um, to take care of her family. So that's something we were very thankful for and grateful for. Some of you grew up without a mother. Some of you were actually adopted. Um, some of you were raised by your grandparent or a relative. Um, some of you had great mothers and some of you didn't. And some of you, you're still working on relationships with your mom. Uh, some of you are still working on relationships with your adult kids. But we need, <clears throat> we, we need to realize some things that are very, very important. Every time I come out here to, to speak to you, I pray that God will bless his word. I don't ask him to bless my words because my words are nothing. They mean nothing unless when they're explaining God's word, what God has said he will bless and what God said will stand the test of time and what God said will outlast everything else is his word. And so that's what I pray that when we share in this setting that God will bless his word. So that's what I'm praying today that as I share some things to you from God's word, that he will bless it. <clears throat> so as we look at this amazing gift placed in our lives called our mothers, um, I thought about my own mom and 
I've thought about my own wife who mothered my children, but more importantly, I've thought more about the Lord and what he has to say and how he views all this. And so I began to think about the qualities that moms have to enrich our lives. And, and then I saw how God not only are, is our heavenly father, but he's also our complete parent. And, and I want to look at some of the characteristics of that, that we, um, that God has, that he's placed in us. Um, for example, God is family focused. He's relational focused. And that's the way moms are. Moms are all about family and they have an amazing way to focus on their kids. And, and that actually begins at conception, you know, because they have that child growing inside of them and, and they carry that child uh, usually up to nine months and, and they feel their very first moments. And in fact, in fact, this is a key way that moms mirror holy God. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So before any of this world was made, before this universe was made, God was already thinking about you individually. And he already had in place a plan so that you can be a part of his family. And then in Hebrews 2, it says, God, for whom and through everything was made. So everything was made by him. Everything was made for him, including you. For God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So when I read that, I realize God wanted a family. Didn't need a family, but he wanted a family. He chose to have a family. And one of the reasons that God created you is because he wanted you to be a part of the family. And he made Jesus in his death and burial. He, now, Jesus was fully God. Jesus was always there. So he didn't make Jesus, but rather he used Jesus, part of the Trinity, to make it possible for you to be a part of his family. And that's what his death, burial, and resurrection is all about. God wanted you to be a part of his family. Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself, uh, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So you coming into the world and you accepting God's way of adopting you through Jesus brings him incredible pleasure because you're now part of his family. So he too was there just like, well, this is where God and the mothers can mirror each other. 
but God in even a deeper way, at conception, God was there. Listen to this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So God was intimately, actively involved in knitting you together. He took your mom's DNA and he took your dad's DNA and he joined it together and he determined which genes were going to be more focused, which ones were going to be more receptive. He figured all that out. He planned all that. That's how much he cares about you. And he says in Psalms 139 again, you made all the delicate inner parts in my body and you knitted them together. And then in verse 16, you saw me. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So get this picture, parents. God the Father laid out, he laid out your life, your child's life. So my job, your job as a parent is not to get your kid to do what you think they ought to do, but rather to help them discover what God had already created them for, to find God's purpose and God's plan for them. You know, before, before Mary and I had kids, I had a lot of amazing theories about parenting. And then I had kids. And all those theories went right out the window. <laughs> but I did find that there was this tremendous guidebook on parenting called the Bible. You know, after birth, your thoughts about your kids only intensify. And, and, you know, you're, as a parent, especially as moms, you never quit thinking about your kids. Proverbs 24.3 says, a house, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Well, here's what that looks like. The Bible says wisdom begins with fear of God. No fear of God, there's no wisdom. So when you have the right view of God, the right relationship with God, a proper respect for God, a holy fear for God, then you can build your house, you can build your children, build up your children in wisdom and to be strong and to have common sense. So here, here's just four quick responsibilities of parents. One is to prepare your kids for life. Because let's, let's face it, life is tough, and it's getting tougher. Your job is to prepare your kids for that. And that means it's a gradual process of teaching them how to take responsibility, teaching them how to make decisions. That's a gradual process. And when a parent makes every single decision for their child all the way through high school and then expects that kid to go off to college and and know what to do, they're sadly mistaken. You've got to start young in helping your kids to learn to make decisions. A second responsibility is protect your kids in the storms, not from the storm, but in the storms. 
because they're going to face storms their whole life. And, and if you try to protect them from the storms, then you're not teaching them how to make it through the storms. So as the storms happen, you, you protect them and then you teach them the principles by which they protect themselves. And a lot of that mainly comes from God's word, teaching them what the Bible says so that they, they trust God and they trust his word. A third thing that you cannot forget is just learn to play with your kids for fun. Just have fun with your kids. The fourth thing, point your kids to God. And the best way you can point your kids to God is by teaching them what I've already said, the fear of the Lord. One of my great concerns for our country is the undermining of the family, the undermining of the authority of parents. It's happening. It is happening. I, I could go through a lot of news articles over the last couple of months that just shows the undermining of the parents in the lives of their kids. But here's what the real problem is in our country. We have lost a fear of God. Bottom line, we have lost a fear of God as a country. It, you know, it used to be in our country, in my generation, some of you may remember this, that even those who didn't go to church or weren't Christians, they still seemed to have a respect for God. They seemed to have some sort of fear of God. And, uh, and they had some common sense about that. But we're seeing that less and less and less. I, I'm seeing less people could care less about who God is or what he thinks. And sadly, I'm even seeing that among people who profess to be believers. They think life is all about them. So how, in this kind of world, how do I teach my kids the fear of the Lord? Well, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, first, accept their uniqueness. This is a starting point. I, I have to recognize and value their individuality. Each child is different, unique. Even if they're twins, they're unique and different. In 1 Corinthians, it said, God works in different ways. But it is the same God who does the work in all of us. The Bible is telling me that God intentionally makes each of us different. He does that intentionally. And, and I think the reason he does that, the world would be incredibly boring if we were all the same. I mean, we, we need unique personalities and unique skill sets and abilities. And one of the greatest tasks of parenting is helping your child realize that they are unique that they don't have to compare themselves to someone else because they're unique. They're an original, and God does not intend for them to be a carbon copy. Guess what? There's only one of you, and that's all we need. That's all we want. <laughs> Your kids, you... They're, you're, you're unique, so you're not a carbon copy. Don't compare yourself to others. In Galatians 6, 4, it says, pay, it says, pay careful attention to your own work. 
For then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So pay careful attention to your uniqueness, to your giftedness, to your shape. And be thankful. Be satisfied in that. And I I really think that parents struggle with this one. I I think parents um, feel the pressure of getting the kids to conform. There's peer pressure. There's the advertising pressures. There's pressures to conform to be like everybody else. And, and, uh, and then there's the pressure of comparing. And we've made comparing a science. But you're unique. And no one can be like you. So why compare? You know, I never did like the IQ test because uh, they just uh, do some arbitrary comparisons. Plus, I never really did good on them. So that's why I really didn't like them. And, uh, but, you know, there are different kinds of intelligence um, that the IQ test cannot evaluate. There's artistic intelligence. Some kids are just great at art and music. There's numeric intelligence. Some kids are just great with numbers. Uh, there's mechanical intelligence. They're, they're just great at fixing things, and they can do that. Some are, uh, they have theoretical intelligence. They're good at dealing with theory and abstract things. Some have innate relational intelligence. Uh, they, they make great leaders. They make great counselors. They know how to connect with people. The Bible says that since we're all unique, we need to stop comparing ourselves. So as a parent, stop insisting that your kid be like you. Let them have different hobbies. Let them have different likes. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Direct your children into the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this one up, this is one of the, one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, and people misunderstand this verse, and they misuse this verse. First of all, they think it's a promise. It's not. It's a proverb. If you raise your kids to be godly and spiritual, they'll always be a Christian. That's not a promise. And uh, Proverbs and how they're different, they are generalized statements about life. And they're generally things that are true about life, but they're not promises. So really, if you want to know what this verse really means, it's basically saying, take the basic inborn temperament your child's natural bent, their shape, their style, the way they naturally go, lead that towards God. And hopefully they will stay on that course. Train up a child in his or her natural bent. That's the way it's meant to be. Now, There's a second thing, affirm their value, affirm their value. Many people, uh, parents accept their kids uh, the way they are, but uh, they don't communicate that acceptance to the kid. So you've got to affirm their value. Uh, Psalms 139 again, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit 
me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. He knows it because somebody told him. So tell your kids they're unique. Tell your kids that they have value. God has wired them a certain way. God gave value to your child before your child was born. And you should affirm that. So how do you affirm that? Well, pay attention. Give focused attention to them. Uh, Give affection, appropriate affection. Give appreciation. Learn to say thank you to your kids. Learn to say you're sorry to your kids. When When you don't do something right, be quick to tell your kids you were wrong and apologize. I want to tell you, you talk about learning a life lesson from that. Proverbs 12, 25 says, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. That's God's word. Number three, trust them with responsibility. <clears throat> Just teach them, teach them responsibility when they're young. I, I mean, little things. And, uh, and as they learn responsibility, then they learn some principles and they learn some disciplines. Jesus put it this way in Luke 16. If you're faithful in a little thing, so that's why you help them, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? So this is biblical principle from Jesus. And so you teach this to your kids by helping them to learn to take responsibility. See, Jesus walked around with his disciples for over three years and uh, he developed them and he trusted them and he gave them responsibility and he'd let them go out and he'd let them fail and then he would pick them back up and dust off the dirt and help them get back on track. And then one day he said, I'm going back to heaven now and this is all in your hands. Well, obviously it worked because you and I are here today because of Jesus. And the trust he put in those 12 guys. Part of bringing out the best of your kids is allowing them to fail. You must allow your kids to fail if you want to bring the best out of them. We have a tendency of protecting our kids from failure. We try to minimize the consequences. We want to protect them from their mistakes. See, if, if they do fail and all we want to do is bail them out quickly so that they won't suffer, then they don't learn. A, total, a totally unbroken string of successes in a character is a disaster. Let me say that again. A totally unbroken string of successes is character disaster. It takes failures to grow character. Not always becoming first place, not always getting the trophy, not always getting the blue ribbon, not always making the A. 
that builds character. Overprotecting your children from failure is actually a form of rejection. When you don't give your kids the opportunity to fail, you're basically saying them, to them, you're not competent and I don't trust you, so I'll handle it and I'll get you out of it. That's what you're really saying. And Galatians 6, 5 says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. I can't tell you how many times my kids would go through something and it would have been so easy to bail them out. But I had to let them deal with it so they could grow. Number four, correct them without condemning them. It's two different things. Proverbs 19 says, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. Proverbs 13, 24, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Now, a rod of discipline is not necessarily talking about a stick. There are lots of different ways of discipline. But it says if you don't discipline your kids, you're actually hating your children. It says those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And then Ephesians 6, 4, this is to dads, but it applies to moms too. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Bigger thing. One day you'll not be in the picture, but the Lord will always be in the picture. You know, my dad, I grew up when, you know, you would get a switch. I mean, my dad's former punishment was to get a, a twig, a switch off a tree, you know, in your backyard. Any of y'all ever go through that? You go out and get that switch off, and man, I'm telling you what, size, it didn't, sometimes the thinner, the more it hurt. The worst, though, and I think this was, this, my dad should have been put in jail for this. He had to make me, he would make me go get my own switch. Oh, man, can you believe that? Go out there and get me a switch. And, you know, and, and, and I knew if I came back with some little limpy little thing, that only meant he went and got a worse one, you know. So I had to, be, you know, I might as well go ahead and get it over with. But when you had to go get your own source of discipline, that was not fun at all. But here's something else for parents, and this one's probably a little more for the dads, Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So maybe what you should do before you let loose on a kid, pray, Lord, let what I say and do next be good and helpful. That'll give you time to catch your breath and put your anger in check so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Sometimes you need to kind of count to 10. And counting to 10 is long enough to read this verse. Number five, love them unconditionally. Not only is God the source, and he's the one we run to, our savior, but he loves us unconditionally. And therefore, we must do the same. You're loved by God, not because you've earned it, but because he chose to love you. 
He loves you regardless. And we should be the same. So learn to forgive. Never give up on your child, no matter how many failures they have. And I, and I want to tell you, I, if you really want to know the key to being a great parent is be a godly person yourself. And that begins by accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You begin with him personally. That's your journey to being a godly parent. And then grow as a believer. I, I want to share something that a, a friend of mine wrote. And I thought it was right on target. What if, what if it really is an upside-down kingdom. You know, the Bible says that. We're an upside-down kingdom because he says things like the first will be last and the last will be first. The greatest among you will be the least among you. So that sounds like an upside-down kingdom. He said, what if it's not the famous, the fast and the flashy, but the unknown and unseen? Those who die to themselves and serve others day in and day out over the course of a lifetime. They're the greatest ones. The greatest ones are the unknown and the unseen. Those who die to themselves and serve others in, day in and day out over the course of a lifetime. What if your greatest most long-lasting accomplishment in life is not something that you do, but someone you raise. Hmm. What if your first and foremost group of disciples is your own family? What if they are the greatest in the kingdom? What a privilege it is to be a parent. And if you've been blessed with godly parents, you need to let them know that you're blessed because of them. 